17 days remain until the start of Inter-Miami's 2021 season, but in just what kind of shape the team will get there is largely a mystery. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of Miami Total Football Radio, or in Spanish, Miami Total Football Radio. I am your co-host Franco Penizo on this week's podcast and joining me is he doesn't even need an introduction anymore. He just doesn't need one. But he is now El Primo, Steve Brenner. Steve, how are you doing today? It's been a couple of weeks since we had a pod, which we'll touch on in a second why that is. But how are you doing? Good, good. And yeah, good to be back. Um, I think the last time we were on, we were talking about these wonderful you know, preseason preparations and everything was going to get into tune. And as we're going to find out, we haven't really seen anything. There was a game apparently that happened the other night which no one really knows anything about it's like uh if a if a tree falls down in the wood and no one's around does it actually do you actually does it make a sound i mean is that the same as when they played a match the other night no one actually knew anything about it i mean i don't know did, did it happen is it was it a figment of our imagination who knows we'll talk about that we're going to talk about some stadium news the season schedule that came out last week our projected 11s what we think is going to happen once the ball gets rolling officially in games but before we do that just going to explain or bring up why we weren't on last week as we normally are and we plan to be. But that's because my boss, Ivis Galarsep at SBISoccer.com, came down with COVID. He had had COVID from the week before. However, last week things got worse and he had to go to the hospital. He's doing a lot better now. He's out of the hospital. But last week he spent, uh, he spent last week in the hospital and... He asked me to take care of a lot of the bulk of what was being done on SBISoccer.com in terms of the coverage with the U.S. men's national team, the under-23 U.S. men's national team. So hands were tied with that. Special shout-out to Ivis. Best wishes to him. Hope he gets back to 100%. I know he's on his way there, but hope he gets back to 100% as soon as possible. He knows knows I have a lot of love for him. He's not only a boss, he's become like an adopted father. He knows that. Uh, for me so we go we go way back way back way back and we have a, a nice. type on so Ivis we wish you the best but Steve like I said we have a lot to talk about so let's get to it so Steve there was breaking news during the first half of this week from both of us your news was a little more significant in terms of what's happening on the field so let's start it there you reported for the sun on Wednesday well Tuesday night, but the story came out Wednesday that Inter-Miami has some COVID cases in camp. They've had another COVID outbreak within the squad. That is why they announced on Tuesday that they had canceled their remaining, well, the next three preseason friendlies that they had scheduled in Bradenton, Florida. So Inter-Miami is now back in South Florida. I imagine certain People, we don't know who, but certain people are quarantining and that there's a hold right now. Again, this is just what I imagine. This part was not in your story, but I imagine that there's a hold right now on training sessions. Steve, what's the latest on that? What can you tell us about the situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, we couldn't confirm, you know, how many players from from Inter Miami squad or how many players from Charleston Battery, New York Red Bulls, or Nashville were involved. So, but I was told that it was a, it was a mix of, of people. So, you know, I've I've been to the IMG Academy in Bradenton. Um, teams do tend to stay there together in in, in like the on-site hotel. So, it's quite possible that it, it may have gone round all all four teams that were, were involved. So. No, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, this is the world we're living in right now. Unfortunately, the virus is still not going away, despite everything and protocols that are in place. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. It's, I, I, we wish everyone well, the ones that have been infected and the ones that are dealing with it. And it's just, you know, it's just a reminder that we're not out of this, you know, sort of pandemic mess. And just from a soccer point of view, you know, it's a real, it's a real shame. It's a real shame for for Neville and the other squad that they basically had four games now cancelled in the space of, of ten days. It's just, it's not, it's not ideal. I mean, um, people took umbrage to, you know, the fact they said it was it was chaotic. It's been, it's chaotic. I mean, or it's caused chaos. It, it, it has in a way, just because, and not not necessarily in a terrible, awful, you know, disaster kind of way, but it's just. If you're a manager, especially if a manager of a, a new manager of a club, you just want to get games under your belt and just and just play. You know, the season starts literally in three in less than three weeks. 
Um, so they just want game time. That, that's all they want. So it's a it's a real shame to have four games like completely wiped out like that. But like I say, it's as long as everyone comes out of it fit and healthy, then there's nothing you can do. But it's it's you know it's not it's not ideal. Put it that way. Yeah. So the matches that have been cancelled so far, just for clarity's sake for anyone listening, or the ones that are cancelled in terms of what was coming up, was March 30th versus the Charleston Battery. April 3rd versus the New York Red Bulls, and yes, again, on April 3rd versus Nashville SC. And this is what Inter-Miami's press release read. And I quote, Inter-Miami CF announced today the cancellation of this week's scrimmages at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, out out of an abundance of caution for the health and safety of players and staff. The following scrimmages have been canceled. March 30th versus Charleston Battery, April 3rd versus the New York Red Bulls, April 3rd versus Nashville SC. The club's weekly media availability, which was scheduled for this Wednesday, has also been cancelled. So, we knew that everything was put on hold. And you have to, like you said, like you mentioned, there was a fourth preseason friendly that was cancelled. But before this, and that was the initial one that they were supposed to have against Miami FC two weekends ago, if I'm doing my math correctly. So, out of... The first five preseason matches that they've had on their schedule, they've only been able to play one. And that was against the Tampa Bay Rowdies on Saturday, this past Saturday. And Inter-Miami apparently lost that game 1-0. Now, we don't have any details on the lineups. We don't have any details with regards to any of that. We'll touch on that a little bit more in just a few minutes. But, like you said, one game played in a stretch of a couple of weeks, two and a half weeks... You've only played one out of the five games you have scheduled. I mean, that's not a very good sign in terms of your preseason preparations and for what's to come in the season because you need to start seeing these players in in more competitive games and scrimmages and seeing what partnerships kind of work and what's, you know, what, what Phil Neville wants to do and who's executing that to the best abilities and who's in form and all these different things as well as get fitness up and Inter-Miami has not been able to do that and is not going to be able to do that at least for another week or so and then you know the season's right around the corner so Inter Miami's going to go into the 2021 season it looks like under less than desirable circumstances and how that impacts the season how that impacts their preparation uh, is going to you know it's going to be something to keep an eye on because I can't imagine that they're going to go into the regular season now with all this having played just one out of the five games that they had on their schedule so far in, in tip-top conditions. No, I mean, yeah, and like you say, it's just, where's the opportunity to see how players do in certain positions or, you know, in, in certain formations or, or, or whatever you want want to call it. I mean, they've only really been playing against against each other bar the game, this mystery game last last Saturday night. So, yeah, I, I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry that they haven't, you know, they've, 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 they made all the moves in January in terms of the front office and the coaching staff, and it was this all brand new dawn. And now, you know, three or four weeks on, this is like, ah, they haven't, they haven't given the chart a, a decent sort of stab at it. So in in five months, five, I don't know, five months time, are we going to be sitting back thinking, oh, if only they would have had a preseason, then maybe they wouldn't have been just outside the playoffs with one game to go. You know, it's just, a, it's a shame. They can't seem to get just a bit of luck and just have a, a clean run at something. There always seems to be something in the way. Yeah, and look, I think that is notable. I think that, you know, at this point, I was kind of reluctant. I had seen other people say it, and I was a little bit reluctant myself to say it, but I do think at this point, you know, you can kind of look at Inter-Miami and say, man, maybe they're not cursed, but pretty close to it because they've had a lot of issues that have, you know, not necessarily been their doing or not fully their doing, and... It's just kind of been one thing after the other since they try to start their existence. You know, whether it's stadium in Miami uh, issues, whether it's the first home game being canceled two days before, whether it's COVID hitting the squad ahead of the playoff game, whether it's Inter Milan suing them for the trademark or my Tweety investigation, like there's just been one thing after the other, after the other, and it doesn't doesn't seem like they can ever really just get on a roll and just get things working smoothly. There's always something in their way. There's always a new hurdle or a new obstacle, and it just hasn't flown uh, as smoothly as they probably would like or would hope so. And I, I, you know, I don't know what the solution to that is. I don't know if that's just 
bad juju, bad luck, or they need to, uh, like someone mentioned in, in my Twitter mentions, they need to go to Calle Ocho and get a cleanse. Like I, I, I don't know, but it's certainly been one thing after the other for this organization in its first year or so on the field and you know even dating back before that. Steve, let's talk about, though, the details, because I think it's important at this point. Inter-Miami, I just read the whole press release, pretty much without saying it, was saying, hey, we have COVID in in camp, and we're stopping our plans from playing in these games. But they didn't say clearly that that was the case. You broke the news for the Sun, but merely a few hours later, but Inter-Miami, again, and this is a repeat thing for them, they opt for secrecy. They have a knack for lacking transparency publicly with the media, with fans. Why not just come out and say that there was COVID in camp? Like, why not? And, and why not have, you know, Phil Neville come out and talk about it? Why cancel the availability? Why not... Tackle this head on and say, "Look, this is the situation. You know, we're, we're planning to do this, this, and this." I don't, I don't understand the, like the the decisions to go into, or maybe I, I I can rationalize and try to understand, but I just don't agree. I don't like. There's just been such a lack of transparency from this club from from essentially from day one, and you can go back and look again. Diego Alonso was fired, or, and Paul McDonough were fired, or when the, when all of that was unraveling, there was just not. A whole lot. We didn't even get to speak to anybody in a leadership position for several months until a- after that. So, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on just Inter Miami's lack of transparency? Because I think it would have just been very straightforward for them just to come out and say, "Hey, look, we have COVID in camp." Obviously, they're not going to identify who, but at least just get it get out get in front of it, as opposed to leaving it to be open for interpretation and leaving for a lot of speculation. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it. That's that's you can look at it in two ways, can't you? You should you can come out and, and say this is the situation, blah blah. Or you could, you know, kind of not bury your head in the sand, but just just be silent and, and not say anything at all. You know, I prefer certainly as a journalist for them to have come out and and said something. I mean, there's nothing, there's really nothing to hide, is there? They're certainly not going to give away the names of, of anyone that's been affected, and, and and rightly so. But you know, just just a you know a, a chat with someone about just just how it's affected the preseason, but. On the other hand, sometimes people just think it's better just to sort of sh- shut up shop and, and not and not say anything and, and move on. They certainly do that a hell of a lot in England. I know people, you know, in the US it's more open and, you know, even my English sort of journalistic colleagues are like, oh, you must just walking into locker rooms and speaking to everyone. It's not quite like that, but there is a feeling abroad that, you know, US media is far more open and available. And I think that's maybe where, because of your background working in the US, you're probably you feel more grieved maybe than I do the fact that they weren't actually going to you know speak to that so I thought they should have spoken for sure um but you know I could also understand maybe okay well if they're not going to say anything, they don't want to talk about it okay fair enough but they should always I think in these situations they should always speak um but I've certainly experienced in the past where clubs have just shut up shop and they don't say anything at all so you know I, I'm kind of used to it was maybe it's a little bit different different for you I don't know look I, I'll reiterate that I can see why the team would not want to speak about this or not address it publicly. But at the same time, you are a professional sports team in major league soccer in the United States. So that is the the market that you play in, the country that you play in, throwing Canada in, in there as well. That is where you play in. That's, and that's to try to, you know, essentially hide in the corner when things go wrong, because this is not the first time when Inter-Miami has had negative things pop up they kind of go hide in the corner and wait till the storm passes over i've just had a flashback of the game being cancelled um exactly against atlanta against atlanta united last year when when, the race protest because of the protest and nobody spoke after that game we didn't even get a quote the the, the only quote we that came out that day was from aj de la garza who who was uh who did an on-the-field interview with Kaylin what, Kyle? What for, an interview that was, by the way. That no, was, I, yeah. I mean Kaylin yeah. Kyle. Props to her. Uh, I don't know if she listens to the pod, but if she does, you know, we, we were commending you for an excellent job that day because I mean we wanted to speak to somebody and, and we weren't able to. Now you just touched on something that I think is important to at least bring up in conversation. 
This team is owned in part by David Beckham. David Beckham is English. And the way that soccer clubs are run there are is different by and large than how they're run in the United States and Canada. Do you think that that's part of why Inter Miami chooses to go for a lack of transparency as often as they do? I, th- I honestly don't know the answer to that. I, I really don't. I'm not just sticking up. What do you think? What do you think? I'm not. I'm not saying you know. So. Is that know. the case? Think, but what do you think? I don't think so. I just think there's a little bit of just just a little bit of paranoia, and and, and, and that doesn't need to be. I just um, yeah. Do they just do they maybe just worry about a little too much about the sort of reaction and and the sort of um, effect that that potentially doing a story today talking about COVID would have would have made. Well, I I I personally think. That, that that's fine if Phil never would have come out and, and, and been honest and said, which I'm sure he would have been, um, you know, there was there was an outbreak between a, a few of the squads, you know, a couple of guys fell ill. That's it, really. I mean, there's nothing, you know, it's not, no, no one's robbed a bank or anything. I mean, we're just talking about something that we've been dealing with for the last year anyway. So, um, but, you know, they just wanted to keep their head down. But, you know, I'm when I worked in New York, they had similar the press had similar arguments about NYCFC. Correct. About and their, and about who are their, their owners? Who are their owners? Yeah, but I mean, it's an English club, but they're owned by people in the Middle East, so you can't... <laughs> but 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 where do the where does the leadership positions, where do those people come from? They come from England. And a lot of complaints, listen, I was in New York as well, just like you, and I'm glad you brought it up, because I was going to if you didn't. NYCFC, by and large, from how a lot of people in the media perceive it, and I've had conversations with... A lot of colleagues, it's not just one or two, I've had a lot of colleagues say, man, the way NYCFC runs, or how they ran, because I, ha- I haven't covered them closely for a year and a half now, but how they were run was very English-style type of club, kind of access at arm's length, is just very different to how a lot of the other teams, by and large, in MLS operate. So I think there is something to that. I don't know if that's what it is, so again, I'm not going to say yes, David Beckham is, is the one influencing, but... It could be. It could be that that's the case because things are run differently there than here. And the media is also different there than here, which maybe not everyone understands greatly. Uh, because I don't think here in the United States you're going to get that same type of vitriol that there is necessarily in other countries, especially with where the game is to this day and age. But anyway, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add there, but we can we can move on because um, we have a lot to talk about. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. So the other topic that came out, a little bit of more positive news, news that I broke on Monday, is that Inter-Miami is hoping to, and they're planning to as of right now, by the fourth game, fourth home game of the regular season against DC United on May 29th, they want to have as close to full capacity at Inter-Miami CF Stadium as possible. So that would mean... Season ticket holders will have, if the plan goes through, will have the chance to sit in their seats for all of those games from that point forward, all the home games from that point forward, and single game tickets will go on sale for as many people as MLS rules and regulations dictate is allowed at that time. Obviously, we live in a in a, in the world right now where everything more than ever is day to day. So the plans could change. It could end up being the fifth home game of the season. It could be pushed back. It just depends on how things unfold and unravel over the next few weeks and months. But if that's the case, if they open up the stadium, that's good news, right? For Inter Miami, not only do they have the stadium finally maybe rocking and. You know, the, the boisterous crowd and the fans that have been wanting to come out for so long, but also the fact that they'll have a lot of uh, revenue coming in that they missed out on last year and probably will miss out on for the start of this year. Yeah, I mean, look, it's huge. That was one of the most heartbreaking things, I think, covering the games as we were last season. And to see that little corner of the stadium where the fans have sort of congregated in that outside that little sort of iron gate, just peering through the thing, it was just... You know, it just it really it was really terrible. And even when they let two hundred or three hundred fans in towards the end, it just made such a notable difference. And you know, we've been to the stadium so many times now, and to not have seen it full is just criminal. Well, criminal, wrong word. It's just it's just really such a shame. Um, so let's 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 see. I mean, you know, cases are, are beginning to kind of spike a little bit all over the country right now. So fingers crossed that you know that they can they can get the go ahead. But I, I guess. 
it a lot of depends what happens in the next sort of four or five weeks in terms of you know what the the various health authorities are, are, are saying is 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 right and, and what can be done because right now I, I can't imagine twenty thousand people in a, in, a, in a stadium with everything that's that's going on. Maybe that's me being a, a little bit negative. I, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, maybe later in the season. But we'll we'll see. They're, they're going to do everything they can. Like, you know, I've just I hope that all the fans that have waited so long, you know, finally get the chance to, to go to the stadium because it's a great stadium. Maybe it won't be twenty thousand again. That's why I said it's. Their plan is Sorry. to get as close to full capacity as possible. It does not mean necessarily that they're going to get to full capacity. I would, like you said, I would wager that they don't start at full capacity on May 29th. But I think they could get 10, 12,000 allowed. Um, you yeah. know, I, yeah. when we spoke to Jorge Mas and David Beckham a few weeks ago at, at the stadium, they were talking about maybe having 6,000, 6,500. I think even 8,000 was thrown out there as a number that they could maybe start the season with. So. 12,000, 12, maybe 15 if we want to go high. I think it's possible. I think it's possible yeah. by May. I, I think the vaccine is starting to get administered to Florida residents, or one of the vaccines starting to get uh, administered to Florida residents that are 16 and above starting next week. So I, I think it's possible. And I think yeah. the sooner it can happen for Inter-Miami, because of all the things we already talked about, all the negative things that have happened, the better. Because Inter-Miami needs a good bit of momentum, some goodwill, you know, just to kind of start rolling and and get get that momentum going because obviously, like we said, it's kind of been stop, start, stop, start, stop, start for quite a while now for various different reasons. Steve, you wanted to add something there? Uh, no, no, not really. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were trying to say something. My bad. Okay, well, we'll take a quick break then, and we'll come back. We have a lot of team news to talk about. We have our projected starting lineups that we're going to get into because that was a question we said we would get to on last week's pod that never happened. So we'll touch on all that and more after this. Steve, we're in the second segment of the show, and we have quite a few things to talk about, but before we get into that, I do want to bring up something that I forgot to talk about on the last segment, and that is, well, Inter-Miami did play the preseason friendly against the Tampa Bay Rowdies this past Saturday. We touched on that. They lost 1-0, according to a tweet or two that made it out into the public sphere, the public realm, but it wasn't supposed to, because if you look at Inter-Miami's social handles and you look at the Tampa Bay Rowdy social handles Tampa Bay acknowledged that the game happened they took a couple of pictures during the game they even took one kind of cleverly worded at the end saying 90 minutes closer to being our best versions or to the, to the start of the season and they put a picture of Tampa Bay players celebrating while you saw a couple of Inter Miami players in the background kind of alluding to the fact that they won but the score only came out because one of the players and I'm blanking on his name right now, but one of the players on Tampa Bay tweeted out the score and said, you know, well, well, job, job well done. Why is Inter-Miami in this preseason? We get, we've talked about the streaming. We've, t- we've already touched that, covered that. But why is Inter-Miami, why do you think Inter-Miami is opting not to have, you know, live tweets from their social handles? Why are they trying to keep these games so secret? And this is a piece of news that we've both heard. Inter-Miami has asked other teams not to do so, to also not tweet out live updates from the games, scores. They have asked other teams not to do that, which is why you saw Tampa Bay kind of allude to it and, you know, play that line, but not say it outright. So why why do you think that is? Why do you think Inter-Miami is being so secretive about these preseason games? It's a weird one. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I've never really experienced any, anything like this before where they've been actively telling teams not to not to sort of talk about the result. I mean, I'm not sure what there is to hide other than I guess they want to just release any pressure off Phil Neville initially to start with. And, you know, they're, they're training games. They don't really mean that much. We're just going through the paces. I mean, but as far as I can see, are, are any of the, the, the friendly games that are slated, are any of them actually going to be treated like proper preseason games? Or are they all sort of secret squirrel 
11s versus each other and, and no one knows anything about it. I mean, um, it's, it's a, it, it, I've never, I've never experienced anything like that really before. And I'm sure, I don't know if Phil Neville or David Beckham in their long story careers and, and have also experienced, I mean, people have training games they have behind closed doors mm-hmm. matches all the time. And, you know, sometimes you don't know about them, but I just think it's pre-season it's traditionally, certainly in England, you know, teams would have six or seven matches against either, you know, amateur teams or non-league teams and then lower, lower division teams. And, you know, they would, it would just be, you'd go along and watch it and, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd take from it what you what you will and, and the clubs would if they lost. It doesn't didn't really matter too much. I've covered so many games here in the US of English clubs coming over. I can't remember one result from any of them. It's just about just getting, you know, minutes in the legs and no one, no one really cares about the results of friendlies. They don't, they're meaningless, really, other than just to helping the managers and coaches and players and staff, whatever, just get, get ready for the season. So I don't really understand the, the secrecy behind it. Yeah, and look, I've covered a lot of MLS preseasons. I remember covering the New York Red Bulls specifically one year, and I, I believe they lost to a college team in their first or one of their first preseason games uh, on in one preseason. And obviously that kind of rang alarm bells for some fans. But look, you can't put much stock into preseason results because the whole point of it is to build up until the regular season to build up the fitness, the tactics, the chemistry. That's what these games are for. So I get some of them wanting to keep them behind closed doors and not trying to say as little or trying to say as little as possible about them as you can because you are working on some things tactically with your starting lineup and you don't necessarily want that to be publicly known up until the first game of the year. However, to even not even live tweet to have to ask other teams not to live tweet to do to go above and beyond to make sure these games are so hush hush is interesting to me. Just I'm not sure why. And obviously, there is one more preseason friendly on the agenda for April 10th, or at least that was the plan. The Inter Miami wanted to try to maybe play a game at its stadium. And open it to the public. Still no word on that. Not sure how that's been impacted by the recent COVID outbreak in the group, as you've reported, Steve. So keep an eye out for that. We'll obviously look to try to find some news with regards to that. But as of right now, there has been no friendly scheduled. And we're not sure if there will be one scheduled now because of the recent happenings with the team. Now, speaking of recent happenings, since we last had a pod, and we can touch on this very quickly because we've touched on... Kieran Gibbs quite a bit, but there were two signings, two fullback signings a week ago, and that was Kieran Gibbs and Kelvin Leardam. Two fullbacks being brought on to the team. Gibbs will not arrive until the summer. I believe he's not eligible to play for Inter Miami until July 1st, based on what they said in their press release. Leardam is able to play from the start of the season. What do you make of the moves of just adding two more fullbacks? Veteran fullbacks, in addition to Jovan Jones, which we talked about on the last pod. Just what do you think that says about the team right now? Yeah, I mean they're just they're bolstering ranks, aren't they? You know, both guys. Um, you know, Leardam is, is is thirty. I think Kieran Gibbs is what thirty, thirty-one, something like that. So, um, you know, uh, just just bringing in experience. I think that's that's the main thing, isn't it? Getting experienced players. The the certainly Leardam is very experienced in MLS. Kieran Gibbs obviously is, has never played in MLS, but is, is experienced playing in England. Played at Arsenal for many years. Uh, played internationally in under twenty ones. Don't think he actually made the full England squad, but um, it's just you know I think we always bemoaned last season the fact that they maybe didn't have enough experience in in, in key areas. We we's too much. It definitely was you that was like I need more experience. Which well, know. it's a young squad though, wasn't it? It was. It's a young. It was a young, experienced squad. I just you can't. It's a cliche. You can't. You can't. You can't put a value on on, on experience and what that brings not only to the pitch but also into the locker room and the club and and all this sort of stuff. And these guys are still, you know, maybe not the prime, but they're not old by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think it's uh, I think they're you know they're good moves. It's just bolstering ranks, just getting just getting enough enough more bodies in, into the squad because it's a long season. You know, the travel and the heat and everything else that goes amongst it, COVID, whatever else you want to say. Um, you know, so I just I, th- I think they're good moves. I agree with that. I also would like to add that Leard- the Leardom signing is clearly another Chris Henderson move. He played for the Seattle Sounders, helped them win an MLS Cup, and he's familiar with MLS, like you said. So 
I th- also think it says something about how Phil Neville sees the squad and the team, and that what I'm referring to is how he maybe particularly views Nicolas Figal, who played as right back for much of last season, even though he's naturally more of a center back. He did okay, had some good games, had some not so good games. Obviously, doesn't give you necessarily that those that consistency in terms of overlapping runs and that threat to whip in balls from the right because he's not naturally a fullback. But I think maybe Phil Neville, from what he saw in training, was like, all right, we, we need a right back, a more experienced right back that I can maybe count on. And maybe, he, you know, he turned to Chris, he turned his head to Chris Henderson, and Chris was like, all right, let me let me work my magic. And, you know, they, they arrived at Kelvin Leardam. So something to keep an eye on, because if that's the case, then maybe Leardam is being signed to be a starter on the right side of the defense, just like Gibbs is being signed to be a starter on the left side of the defense. Now, speaking of reinforcements, you reported in that piece in The Sun earlier this week that the team is expected to be all together next week. We saw Gregory on his Instagram post a picture looking outside a window, appeared to be a hotel room that he was in, and he tagged Miami, Florida, so it seems like he is in South Florida, he's in market, probably quarantining. Again, we don't know. We don't have the exact details on that. But Gregory is apparently in South Florida. Kelvin Leardam and Jovan Jones have returned from international duty with Suriname and Trinidad and Tobago. And they're also in South Florida. Not sure if they have to quarantine or how long or if it's as long. But they're in South Florida as well. The one we don't know about is Ryan Shawcross. But according to your piece... Maybe he's in. He's back in, or he's in market. Yeah, I was. You know, led to believe that most of the squad. You know, remember also there was internationals sort of this week. So even when they're in Sarasota, they they were missing quite a few, quite a few players, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, again, that that wasn't that wasn't helpful, was it? I guess you know the fact that they were potentially going to play three games, missing a fair, you know, a few players here and there. Um, but yeah, that, I think essentially the- all of their notable offseason signings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So again, you know, it wasn't the time he just haven't haven't worked out for one reason or another, you know. Um but um yeah, fingers crossed that everyone should be sort of back the the band should be back together um, you know, uh, early next week. But again, with um, because we don't know how many people or who have been infected, you know, whether and how much that will sort of hamper training as well, you know, we that we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll have to see how that unfolds again. Now Another piece of news that came out last week was the MLS regular season schedule dropped. The full schedule, all the games for all of 2021 are out now. You can see them on intermiamicf.com, mlssoccer.com. You can see them in a bunch of different places. You can even Google what type in Intermiami games and the schedule will pop up on Google. We're not going to go through the whole schedule because we'll be here until next week, but Steve, give me three games, three matches that you are definitely keeping an eye on in 2021. Obviously, remove away, move, take away the the home opener, the season opener, because that's obviously a big damn, one. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that I mean, obviously, that's a massive game. Um, like you say, I mean, uh, was it um, May 29th potentially the, the thing for the fans? Mm-hmm. That's good. I think the, the first the first game against Orlando. Is away actually on the, the June June twenty fifth. Um, oh, so that's, so that's at home. Oh, excuse me, I'm wrong. Yes, no, the first <laughs> that first game against Orlando on, on June twenty fifth should be should be uh, should be interesting. And then I think you've just got to look towards you know the the, the, the back end of the back end of the season. Our, our old friends at Lanto, they must have played it every day for like a space in the space of about three or four weeks last time. That <laughs> um, those games at the end are, are going to be key, and, and they're there three kind of. Difficult games at the end. I know, uh, you know, Atlanta, then Atlanta away, New York, NYCFC at home, and then and then the New England Revs away. So, um, you know, that that even that final game, you know, you could imagine there could be could be, could be quite a fair bit on the line there. So for me, I'll give you quick three games. Obviously, like we said, take away the season opener. It's a massively important game, huge game. A lot of eyeballs will be on that game. We know that. I think the second game away to the Philadelphia Union is important for two reasons. One. Well, for, for a lot of reasons, actually. More than two reasons. One is that they are the Supporter Shield winners. They're, they were the team with the best regular season record in a topsy-turvy 2020 in MLS. So that's going to be a good 
barometer, a good benchmark for Inter Miami to gauge where they're at. Because LA Galaxy is going to be at home, the crowd's going to be rocking, there's going to be a lot of emotion into that, and LA Galaxy weren't a very good team last year. Philadelphia Union were a good team. So I'm curious to see how they how they match up against Philadelphia away at Philadelphia at Subaru Park, the same place where Gonzalo Higuain made his debut and missed the penalty kick and got into it with their players. So I think that match is very interesting. And the final reason for that is also because the U.S. Open Cup this year, which is the domestic tournament, the U.S. tournament, has been reduced in terms of the field, the eligible field to play in, and I believe, and I could be mistaken, I'm going to go back and check this before we talk about it later, the teams with the best points per game after the first three matches of the regular season get into the Open Cup. I think the best eight could be wrong on that. I'll, I'll go and look later to, to clarify. But that's So that's going to be important. If Inter Miami wants to get into that tournament, which is a way to get into CONCACAF Champions League, they have to try to get as many points as possible from their first three matches, and that includes that Philadelphia Union game. So definitely that game, the Atlanta United game on May 9th, like you said, as well as that May 29th game against DC United, if things go according to the, how the team has planned. Of course, the Sunshine Classico, all three of them, because the Inter-Miami is playing Orlando City three times this year. The first Sunshine Classico on Friday, June 25th at Inter-Miami Stadium is, is a big one as well. So I gave I gave you guys more than three games, so I even I didn't even answer the question directly here or didn't stay true to it. So um, there's definitely some really good games to, you know, to look at. If you haven't seen the schedule, make sure you do so and start circling your calendars because there are some interesting matches. And with more butts being allowed in seats, potentially, you know, you might want to start planning some of your weekends around those because there's going to be... There's going to be some soccer in South Florida uh, for for you guys to see, it looks like. Now, speaking of international duty, I do want to touch on Edison Ascona and assistant, Inter-Miami assistant, and also under-23 U.S. Men's National Team head coach Jason Christ. They both participated in the recent CONCACAF Olympic qualifying competition in Mexico. Again, Jason Kreiss, an assistant at Inter-Miami, is, was the head coach of the SU23 side on the men's. And Edison Ascona played for the Dominican Republic. Edison Ascona started and played 90 minutes in each of the Dominican Republic's three games. They lost all of those. But the good news for him was he got 90 minutes and he scored the team's only goal in the tournament or in the in Dominican Republic's opener against Mexico from the penalty kick spot. Ice-cold penalty kick. And he, he gave his team a late consolation strike there. They still lost, and they didn't do very well in the tournament. But, you know, he, he was able to get some minutes, work his fitness up. And he showed some interesting things. A lot of people were high on what they saw from him. He wore the number 10 as well, so that shows the importance that he has on that on that team at such a young age. So good good stuff from him on a personal note. But for Jason Christ, it didn't go as well. The team... The U.S. team won two games. They lost two games, including the most important one, which was the semifinal match that guaranteed passage to the Olympics. They lost to Honduras by a score of 2-1. to one. So the U.S. will miss out on the Olympics on the men's side for the third consecutive tournament. No one cares about the Olympic football. Come on, man. It's just, you know. Hey, in the United States, they care, dude. In the United States, I, I remember watching the 08 team, uh, and this was right before I started covering soccer and I, I liked watching it. I, you know, it was a good tournament to see some young, promising U.S. talents that actually, you know, eventually break broke their way, and you know, like this team will break their way into the senior squad. So, I, you, was, know, I mean, was, you, you know, you know more than me about this. I mean, was, was is it a, is it a fault of the system, the U.S. soccer system, or, or was has Jason Christ come in for some sort of criticism in, in the way that he he coached the team? It's a complex answer. There's a lot of things to touch on. I don't think Jason Christ did a great job. I don't think he necessarily made great adjustments. I don't think he necessarily made the right lineup decisions or the roster selection, something he even talked about in the post-game press conference after the loss to Honduras. He said, you know, he was going to start second-guessing the decisions he made, and that's how he is as a person. So there was some there was some reflection there on his part that maybe he didn't make the best of the opportunity. The U.S. in general just hasn't been good at that level for several years now there's a lot that goes into it we're not going to bore you with those details because it's about inter miami it's not about the u.s team but i just wanted to touch on those two members of the squad because that is news related inter miami related news uh lastly 
going back to international duty, Rodolfo Pizarro, Kelvin Leardam, and Jovan Jones each featured for their national teams in recent recent days. Pizarro got a start and came off the bench for Mexico in their two matches. They lost to Wales 1-0, and then they beat Costa Rica 1-0. He played. He started as a false nine in the in the win against Costa Rica, and didn't do very well from what fans and what from media members are saying. Kind of understandable. He's not a number nine. He's not a striker, and he's in preseason form. So not sure what what Tata Martino was thinking there, but. I mean that's you know that was Pizarro's performances. Jovan Jones did score for Trinidad and Tobago in a one to one World Cup qualifying draw against Puerto Rico, and Kelvin there that made his debut for Suriname. So that was Inter Miami's participation in this international break. Now we'll take a break and we'll come back to do our projected starting eleven and our Q and A session after this. Alright Steve, before we get to the Q&A, we're going to do something a little different. It's technically part of the Q&A because this was something we got asked by one of our listeners, one of our Twitter followers, Esteban, and he asked this on March 16th, what is your starting lineup and what are your four most important slash regular subs? So we're going to touch on what we think our projected starting lineups are as quickly as possible because we do have a lot of questions to get to this week. I'll go first. I wrote something for SBISoccer.com. On this very subject, with some cool little lineup graphics that took me a good bit of time to work on, but I figured it out. Um, if you want to see it, you can see it at sbisoccer.com. This is what I think Phil Neville will do in the season opener. I reiterate, this is what I think he will do. I'm not saying this is what he's going to do. I don't have that information. I also am not saying this is what I would do. I am saying this is what I think Phil Neville will do. And this is before the news came out about the, the COVID in camp. I think he's going to prioritize for the first game familiarity over maybe quality. Because like we've touched on, some of the or all of the notable veteran reinforcements that have been signed this offseason are only just now joining up with the team. And now with COVID kind of throwing everything up in the air, it's unclear whether how much time they're going to get practicing as a, as a unit. So I'm going to say this is the starting lineup on April 18th against LA Galaxy. John McCarthy in goal, Dylan Nealis at right back, Nicolas Figal at center back, Leandro Gonzalez Pires next to him, Breck Shea at left back, Victor Ulloa at the six, Blaise Matuidi a little more advanced than him in the central midfield, Lewis Morgan on the right, Rodolfo Pizarro at the 10, Robbie Robinson, which is the surprise maybe, on the left side, and Gonzalo Higuain up top. Steve, what do you think? What do you, what is your projected lineup for? This yeah, I, I, well, I like I like Breck Shea at left back. I just think he gives um you know it's a bit of energy and and dynamism down the down down the left left hand side. I think that you know that J- Jovan Jones has, has been involved with the squad now, hasn't he? So I, I maybe I expect him to potentially maybe play a right back, maybe something like that. And then I just I don't see he has. Oh, you, you're confusing it. Jovan Jones plays on the left side. Unless you mean Leardam. Leardam would be the right back. Sorry, sorry, Leardam. Yeah, okay. Or maybe Leardam, like you say, he's not going to be. He's not going to be ready. He doesn't have many options, like you say. Gregory's only. He he hasn't seen him play live. I don't think he, he wouldn't have done up to as as we sit here speaking right now. So, I, I think you're going to have to expect pretty much the same team, just with some tactical tweaks for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't sure about Lewis Morgan on on the left. Maybe he'll push him over to the right, as you've said. Uh, I mean, Robbie Robinson's not really a left winger, is he? But, you know, he, he clearly sees something in him. So I think, although I think the personnel are going to be pretty similar to what was we saw at the, the back end of, of last season, it's just going to be interesting to see the tactical tweaks that he's going to instill, you know, where Morgan's going to play, what Robbie Robinson's going to do, what's, what is he going to do with Pizarro, you know, Matuidi and Lowe are going to kind of hold um, so, you know, I think it's more aesthetically we're going to see how he's changed it more than actually personnel for, for right now. I, I, I expect Ryan Shawcross probably would come in at centre-half once he's proved his fitness and he's sort of... Um, well, we'll get know, there. We'll get there. We're going to get there. But I just want to know what you think is going to happen on, on, on the first game against the LA Galaxy. Just give me your lineup right now. I think... I, I, I think... I do... I say your lineup, but take Neelis out and put uh, Leardam in. Okay, so Leardam goes in. No Jovan Jones. You don't start Jovan Jones either in the midfield or at left back. You, you, he's he's coming off the bench. 
Um, that's what you think. That's what you think Phil will do. Because if he's starting Lear now, I imagine he starts Jovan Jones if that's the thought process he has. Yeah. The only other thing, I, 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 he may he may put Jovan Jones on the left left back, but then push Breck Shea up to play in the Robbie Robinson winger role that you've created for him. So um, I, yeah. I have listen. No, 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 no. See, no, 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 no. Hold on. I haven't created that position for him. Although I did say last year in a piece that I think he was better suited to play on the wing. Phil Neville said in a rec- in one of the recent press conferences that they've used Robbie Robinson in the three attacking frontline spots or the three main attacking spots. Take away the number 10. He's used them at striker, he's used them on the right wing, he's used them on the left wing. And at the practice that we saw a couple of weeks ago, right before they, they closed up shop and they told us we had to go, that the media access was over, Robbie Robinson was lining up on the left in whatever drill that they were about to do, or that's what it looked like. So I could see him being the surprise starter on the, on that position at that left midfield spot, especially because of how highly Phil Neville spoke about him when we talked about Robbie Robinson a couple of weeks ago. He raved about his potential. So I could definitely see him getting the nod, especially if, again, familiarity and chemistry are prioritized over quality and at the start of the season because of everything that's going into into that game. Now... Again, in that piece on SBI Soccer, I also put a projected starting 11 with the current roster and with the summer roster. So let's let's do the summer roster. Uh, I'll go second this time. You give me your best Inter-Miami lineup with the roster of players that are signed, including Kieran Gibbs. He won't be there till the summer, till July 1st. But give me your best 11 with him on board and with everybody. Let's, let's assume that everyone's healthy and informed. Who's your best 11? Who do you go to? Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely, you know, Gibbs... Gibbs 100% comes in. So does so does Shawcross. You know that Gregory Matuidi sort of um, tandem in in midfield looks just solid. I guess Gregory is probably like a um, a replacement for for Will Trapp, who I, I thought did fine last year. But um, you know what what do I know? Um, <laughs> not a lot clearly. Um, and then again, yeah, I, I, maybe he'll push he'll push Jones up, and then he'll have that that front three. Pizarro, Morgan, and then and Iguain. Again, there's not that there's not too many other options, is there? Unless they 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 bring in another attacker, attacking DP, and get rid of Pellegrini. I don't see what else he can he can really do. I'm just like I say, I'm just interested to see what he he can do with Pizarro because I think he's he knows that that's the key. I think if he can unlock him and get him and Iguain, you know, sort of firing, have that spine of Iguain, Pizarro, Matuidi. And then Gonzalez, Perez, and Shawcross. I don't think that's that's not too bad on paper. It's pretty good, um, but it's just how they, you know, it's what happens when they cross that white line. Right, and this is essentially just for conversation point because a talking point. Because again, by the summer, different players will be in different form. There could be an injury or two. You know, there could be a move. There could be a trade, or you know, any type of thing can happen between here and July first. So again, Rodolfo Pizarro might be with Mexico. So there's a lot of different factors. But if I'm going to project the strongest or the starting lineup I think Phil Neville goes with once he has his arsenal of weapons at his disposal. I'd say McCarthy in goal, Leardam on the right, Ryan Shawcross at center back with Gonzalez Pires next to him, Kieran Gibbs out at left back, Gregory and Matuidi in the midfield with Gregory playing a bit more withdrawn or a little bit further back to be more of the destroyer. Lewis Morgan on the right, Rodolfo Pizarro in the middle, Jovan Jones at left midfield, and Gonzalo Higuain up top. Now, why I put Jones at left midfield and maybe not Matias Pellegrini or Breck Shea is because when Jovan Jones was announced, they Inter Miami made sure to note that he could play left midfield as well as left back. So I think they're looking at him in that position because they couldn't make the signing that they were looking to, right? They, were, they said they wanted to sign someone in the 10 or on the wing, and they haven't done that unless Jones is that guy that they had to settle on. So I would expect Jones to see plenty of minutes at, at left midfield uh, in 2021. And to answer Esteban's question about you know the four substitutes, who are the four most important substitutes coming off the bench, I mean... If we're going off the strongest lineup, probably be a mixture of Julian Carranza, Matias Pellegrini, Breck Shea, and Nicolas Figal. Who, I want to add, I want to add this. If I was head coach of the team, and again, I'm out of practice every day, but just from what I've seen on the outside, if I was head coach of the team and judging but what, off what I do know, and I added this in my piece on SBISoccer.com, 
I would start Nicolas Figal at center back with Leandro Gonzalez Pires, not Ryan Shawcross. I think Ryan Shawcross is a big question mark. Does he yeah. have necessarily the experience and the quality that he did at one point? I mean, the experience is there, but does he have the quality that he had at one point after such a lengthy layoff? I'm not so sure. I liked what I saw from Figal last year's center back before he was moved out wide on the right, and I think him and Gonzalez Pires could make for a good tandem. We did see them together at certain parts of the year last season when Andres Reyes was not available, so... I think that could be a good tandem, but that's just what I would do. I don't expect long-term for Phil Noble to do that unless something happens with Ryan Shawcross that doesn't permit him to be on the field. I think they signed Shawcross to be a starter, so that's that's just my two cents. Now let's let's get to the Q&A session because we've got a lot of questions. So Steve, you know the, you know the protocol. Let's start. So the first question, Steve, comes from Endo. He says, since the Open Cup is going to be based on the first three games of the season, points per game, how tough do you guys think we have it, given the fact that we play the Galaxy, reigning Supporter Shield winners, he's talking about Philadelphia Union, and Nashville, that tore us apart in the playoffs? Love the pod, guys. Steve, what do you think? It's no easy game. There's no easy games. I mean, it, it, yeah, it comes it comes thick and fast, doesn't it? I, I, I don't know how, you know, what, where the Cup sort of lies in their, in their priorities, but... Um, you know, you would have thought that the you know the goal this season is is to is to get into back into the playoffs would be mount a much stronger run. So, um, you know, the cup I guess is is a secondary thing, but you know, winning breeds confidence and all those other title cliches that I keep keep rolling out. So, um, no, it'd be it'd be nice to it'd be it'll be definitely nice to have a cup run. I think it's to, the, to answer the question directly. I think it's tough. I do think it helps in Miami that they have their first game at home against the Galaxy, which is, again, not the toughest opponent, at least on paper, based off what they did last year. They're going under uh, a head coaching change, and they're still going to try to be figuring themselves out and trying to do things in a new way under Greg Vanny. So that could play into Miami's favor, especially with the crowd rocking or however many people are allowed into the into the stadium. The key to me is that Philadelphia Union game because on paper, again, Inter-Miami had a tough time with Nashville last year, especially in the playoffs, but I think on paper Inter-Miami is more talented than Nashville and can beat Nashville. I think that second game against the Philadelphia Union, you got to get at least a draw out of that and win the other two, in in my opinion. I think seven points is what you're going to need to be one of those teams that qualifies for the Open Cup based on points per game. I think you need at least seven points, two wins and a draw. So those first three games... Are they the most difficult? No. But that second game is vital. Vital. I mean, obviously you have to start on a winning foot. If you don't pick up three points at home, you're going to be playing catch-up. But I think that second game is is very, very important. The next questions, and there's two of them, and they're both on similar topics, come from Atlante Herons and Joseph E. I'll start with Atlante Herons. A lot has been made about the lack of a jersey sponsor going into the season since MLS is a single-entity league without franchises. Would the money generated from a sponsor go directly to Inter-Miami or the league where it would be split evenly amongst the teams? And then Joseph G. asked, any news on potential Jersey sponsors? Literally, St. Louis got a sponsor and they don't even play till 2022. Come on, Inter-Miami! Exclamation point. So, the last thing we heard on the Jersey sponsors was from Jorge Mas saying that he... that he was in negotiations, that the club was in negotiations to get one before the start of the season, and that he thought it would happen. But we've heard that line before, and we haven't heard anything since, be it through the people we speak to, and be it through just the overall news cycle. So it does not look like Inter Miami will get that done before the season starts, which, again, is a missed opportunity and something to criticize the team about because... If St. Louis can do it and they don't play till 2022, like you astutely brought up, Joseph, Inter-Miami should be able to do it. They're, they're the team in a sexy market. They have David Beckham as the owner. Like it, this is Now it's becoming sort of, sort of like a running joke now that they can't get this done. Because actually, and a quick, quick little sidebar here, I did a piece for SBS Soccer over the past month where I was updating every MLS team's new jersey that they unveiled. Uh, and every team has at least one New Jersey, if not two. And if you look at all of them, they all have sponsors, except for Inter-Miami. And, like, it's just, it's wild that they still haven't gotten one. That can still change. There's still some time before the season starts. But as of right now, no new news on that. To answer Atlanta Heron's question, the money would go directly to Inter-Miami because that's the the deal that they work out. So they'd be, they'd be able to 
to use that for their facilities or to you know invest in other resources within the club. Steve, anything you want to add there? Yeah, it's, it's just I haven't really looked a great deal into in, into this sort of issue, but it, it is weird that you know a club with with such sort of celebrated, well-known owners uh, or owner who could you know who who obviously has a vast reach across a number of different industries and all that sort of stuff, and it's a very you know exciting project to be involved with. It's just weird, isn't it? They haven't been able to sort of nail down. Maybe they're just searching for that for that right that right partner and just for one reason or another, especially with everything they've gone through or the world has been going through in the last year, it just hasn't hasn't come to fruition. So uh yeah, it's 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 definitely a weird one. I, I do think that's part of it. I think they're looking for a perfect match and that's gonna give them a like it's gonna maximize their revenue in in terms of that. But look, at the same time, the longer you wait and the longer it takes to find that partner, the more revenue you're missing out on. So they need to get that done. Not only because fans want it, but because it helps their bottom line at the end of the day to get a jersey sponsor. Uh, and now obviously they, they were supposed to or were in the process of hiring someone on the business side. That's what Jorge Mas told us when we spoke to him a few weeks ago, but that hire has not been made yet. So is Jorge Mas... And they, are Jorge Mas and David Beckham making the business decisions right now? Who's kind of leading that that charge is, is a question. But we'll continue on. The next one comes from Fighting Herons. Considering that Inter Miami has signed three relatively high-profile kind of expensive players while supposedly still being under investigation for the Matuidi signing, do you think the Matuidi situation has been closed behind the scenes, allowing Inter Miami to proceed with business as usual? Steve? Good question. I mean, no, no idea. It's also that has also gone very, very quiet, and um, nothing has really come out of that at all. You would have thought even maybe something coming out of in his native France potentially would have, you know, would have shed some light on 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 the situation. So, um, I mean, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? I mean, I, I, we can't see anything too sort of draconian in terms of a punishment or, or anything like that. Um, so, I can't see it would affect. The transfer dealings, you know, too much really. Um, I think again, they're, they're trying to search for just that 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 right player, but time's running out. Again, you keep saying we, but you said that. I think that they could get the hammer over the head on this one. I think the hammer can come down pretty strongly on this one. Right. Um, but we have not heard anything new. And I look to answer the question directly. I don't think that them signing players is means that they're in the clear with Matuidi. I think. That's a separate thing. It's a little bit mysterious that something hasn't come out yet, especially when Phil Neville said many weeks ago that he expected something in five to seven days. I think that we're going to hear something at some point, whether it's MLS saying, okay, we've concluded our investigation, there was no wrongdoing, or yes, there was, and this is the punishment. I think that's going to be something separate from their ability to sign players this offseason. That could be something that impacts them going forward, which that's, that's what I would imagine if there was issues or things found that MLS did not like. Next question comes from Manuel Teixeira. What do you think about the marketing of the club? Any changes? What is the club that you want more to go against? Any transfer updates? New signings? Love your podcast. I'm trying to catch up the most, but it's really difficult right now. So it sounds like he's a fairly new listener. He had a lot of questions for us. We'll just answer the first one for time's sake. And I'll start with you, Steve. What do you think about the marketing of the club? Do you think that they're maximizing interest in in south florida i think look they've been completely hamstrung by the pandemic i think you know if we were coming off the back of a season where we would have had you know a first campaign you know twenty thousand fans in every 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 other week um you know it would have built a bit of momentum and word would have got around and you know the club would have been begin to flourish in the local community and all that and we just everything just was cut dead on march 12th whenever it was when that that announcement came that the MLS wasn't going to play along with every other sport pretty much in the US and, and the world. So I, I, I've got a lot of sympathy for it's it's they're kind of on delay right now. I think everyone's just waiting for this. Hopefully that, you know, the, the, the tide has turned in terms of people dealing with the with, with the COVID and they can get back to or begin to really market the club in, in, in all the local area. I just just think this year has been a complete write-off and it's probably going to be a write-off for the next six months. So it's very difficult to market and try and promote a club if people can't actually come and see, see the product in the first place. You know, they want people to come down to the stadium and have a beer and in the sun and enjoy the match. And, and none of that is possible right now. So that, and that has a knock-on effect for the popularity of the 
of the team because it, it just is you know if they start doing well then more people will want to go and watch but if people can't go and watch in the first place then they've got a problem I agree with that I agree that the sooner they can get people into the stadium to watch games or more people into the stadium to watch games and the sooner they can start winning games in front of those people I think that's going to be the biggest marketing that they can have is goals wins thrills all that will help market but in regards to what they've done right now I agree that COVID has hindered them quite a bit, but at the same time, there's probably in certain areas some things that they could have done a little better. Now, I have seen some complaints, for example, from season ticket holders about the lack of a care package, and other teams across the league normally send care packages to their season ticket holders, and it comes with a bunch of different goodies, you know, maybe something unique for the year, with along with a scarf and a jersey, or any little, just a few different things, just to, as like a thank you for being a season ticket member. And Inter Miami season ticket holders apparently did not get that last year, and having gotten one this year, so there are there are things that Inter Miami can do better, in my opinion. But the next question comes from Dale Rosado. How do you think the lack of preseason will affect the starting lineup early on? And if the season starts in the direction of last season, how much leeway will Phil Neville get? I'll start here, Steve, if that's okay. I, and we touched on how we think it's going to impact the lineup. I think it's going to make put a premium on familiarity over necessarily quality, especially because you don't want players starting that first game at home against LA Galaxy in front of your fans that aren't 90 minutes fit. Because if they're not 90 minutes fit, you're going to be forced into making substitutions early on or risking injury. So... All the newcomers that have just come in that still need to get a proper preseason week or two or three under their belts, I think that they're more likely going to come off the bench for the first game and the guys that have been in camp that have been training regularly will start that game. However, everything's kind of been thrown up in the air again because of the latest happenings with the COVID outbreak. We don't know who's impacted, how that will impact training. That's, that's something to be seen. Yeah, like we said, it's just it's it's not ideal. This is the time that he, sh- you know, the squads and rosters should be fine tuning all their preparations and plans and everything ahead of the new season. And it's just it's just completely stopped in it, in, it, in its tracks. And they've been left just to train with themselves. Who knows who's actually going to be able to train next week? Uh, if you know, depending on on who's been fallen sick and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it's not ideal. They haven't got the minutes on, in the, in the legs that they need. And, you know, they could be rusty, but I haven't seen whether or not teams are suffering in, in similar ways. I'm not I'm not entirely sure about that. How many friendlies are other teams playing, for example? How many teams, have, how many friendlies have the LA Galaxy played in the last two or three weeks? I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. And I apologize for not doing my homework on that score. But maybe, do you know Such that? Such a slacker. Also? Such a slacker. I mean, I don't have the answer off the top of my head, but if, you know, if, if I was going to talk about it, I might, I might try to... Do a quick Google search on my phone while. Uh, while... Uh, you know, have they have they, <laughs> suffered, have they suffered more than most in you know in MLS? That's maybe something we can um, we can touch on next week. I mean, probably since the last in the last year and a half or the year and change. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, so that's does it for the Q and A session, Steve. Let's get our final thoughts and wrap up the show. Yeah, no, just to, to carry on what I say. I, I just it's just you know just a shame. You don't never want to look for excuses and and reasons why they haven't been doing well but you know I, I can just see the point where we're going to be talking in, in five or six weeks and I really hope I'm wrong that you know the, the the lack of pre-season has really sort of scuppered them and just not enabled them to, to properly prepare you know for what's a massive campaign for Phil Neville for Beckham for, for everyone um, so you know let's hopefully within now in the next couple of weeks they can maybe just get get a few minutes you know on, on, under their belts and um and, and get ready because the, the build-up, unfortunately, although it was a good start to the year in terms of the changes that were made, and then it's been really, really frustrating for them and, um, you know, difficult for everyone concerned. So hopefully, they're, you know, they're going to be able to at least get something something uh, on the on the uh, on the on the schedule and and just get get into the rhythm of, of playing of playing matches because that's what you need. You can you can run and run and run and run, but if you're not playing matches, it, it doesn't doesn't help. So we started the show on a bit of a negative tone, a little critical tone. I'm going to end it on a positive tone. If you have not seen Gonzalo Higuain's singing performance in the team dining room when they were in Sarasota or in St. Pete over the weekend, 
you absolutely need to do so. It's hilarious. It's probably the loosest you will ever see Gonzalo Higuain. I tweeted out the video in four different parts on Twitter. It is on Miami Total Football Instagram account. You have to see it. It is hilarious. He does a great rendition of Luis Fonsi's Despacito. And it's funny for so many reasons. Because at first you can see he's kind of hesitant. But then he kind of gets into it. He starts forgetting some of the words. But then he goes all out performing artist. And starts doing a bunch of different dance moves. And I think that I think it was a, a different side of Gonzalo Higuain than we normally get to see from the outside. So something nice, something funny, something light. And maybe something that bodes well. I saw a few people say, man, Gonzalo Wayne is going to kill it this season. He's going to score 25-plus goals. So I don't know if you want to read all that into it, but it's definitely worth watching. Definitely worth a minute of your time. But that does it for this week's show. We will be back next week, hopefully with a lot more insight into what's going on with Inter Miami's preseason plans ahead of the start of the 2021 MLS season, which is fast approaching. As always... Please don't forget to follow us on all of our social media channels. For Steve Brenner, I am Franco Panizo, and we'll